Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 133 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 23rd of November 2014, entitled The Genesis Account, Part 10, The Acuteness of Man's Fall. And the Bible reading is taken from Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 to 24. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 3 this morning, And as we continue in our series on the Genesis account, particularly this time on the acuteness of man's fall, we're going to pick up with our scripture reading this morning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. We'll read first of all down through verse 24. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word this morning. Again, beginning in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and into dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothed them. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Father, we do thank you so much again this morning, Lord, for the time that we have now to spend in your word. Help us, Lord, I pray. Take, Lord, and give us that which we need. We give you the praise and thanks. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. So as we have looked at a number of things in the Genesis account, building a basis for the claim that the Genesis account, God's account of beginnings, is foundational. It is fundamental to the very Christian faith for which we believe and stand Thus far, as we have worked our way through these early chapters of Genesis, we've laid a biblical basis that the Genesis account is not just believing that God created, but we've looked at the Genesis account, lays the foundation for the authority of God's Word, for the very assertion of God's existence in this world, Yes, for the absoluteness of God's creation. He did it himself without any outside help. That is foundational for the advancement of the human race, the accountability of mankind to his creator, the administration in home life in the way that God planned it, and most recently at the acuteness of man's fall. In other words, the depth, the bigness, the seriousness of man's fall. And as we have looked at this, again, we have looked at a number of things that are a part of this fall of man in the Garden of Eden. We began by looking at the fact that The first thing we saw in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, was the entrance of Satan on the scene. 
Upon his entrance, that we looked at the enticement of the woman. He enticed the woman to eat of the tree. But then after we looked at that, we looked at the error of man. Man just made the choice. The woman was deceived, we saw. But the man wasn't deceived. He chose to disobey God. We looked then as a result of that of the estrangement with God, the separation, the division that came between his creation and the creator. We followed behind the estrangement of God with the thought that we have been looking at, of course, the enmity with Satan, that enemy that warfare that will always be going on there. And then today we'll be looking at the thought that picks up from that, which is the encompassing of the curse. What all does the curse take in? You see, in these remaining verses of chapter 3, there is absolutely no doubt that there is a curse that comes as a result of Adam's sin. Now, this curse, there's more than one curse that comes on many things, but this curse that comes, we'll find in looking at these verses, that it literally encompasses all of creation. We have established thus far that it was God that created everything from nothing. And that as he put man in that garden, that man was given certain responsibilities. But man was given of all the things that God gave him, he was given one prohibition, one thing not to do. But that he chose to do. As a result of that sin, we looked at verses 16 to 19, which we read a few moments ago, in respect of the family and the administration of home life. But as we look back at these verses and then continue on, we want to see how they relate specifically to man's fall and to the curse that came as a result of that. And may I say to you that today part of the problem is that people, many people in this world, do not recognize their need for God. Number one, first of all and foremost, they don't recognize their need for God for salvation because they don't understand the very foundation that is laid here in Genesis of how they fell from God in the curse of death that came with that. But also, for Christians, so many times, Christians, because of a lack of understanding of who we are and what we're made of in this Flesh that we still live with, that we still battle with, that we still contend with every day of our lives. We want to put it aside. We want to forget about it. We want to pretend that everything is just hunky-dory, as we say where I come from. Everything is just fine when it's not. When Christians know, they know if they're honest that they're struggling, that they're spiritually weak, that there's things that, that really is affecting their Christian walk and their effectiveness as a Christian. But so much of it goes right back to the basis of what happened here in the garden. You see, first of all, we find that this sin, when it occurred, we've already seen how that when God came, when we looked at that estrangement, that separation that came, and he, and he came, and the first thing he goes to Adam, and he blames the woman, and the woman blames the, the serpent, and everybody's got a reason for somebody else. And let's notice, first of all here, that this sin that was committed there in the garden, everybody that was involved in it, we see it has had an effect upon them. Satan became our enemy. We saw the curse that was put upon him. What about with man? Well, chapter 3, verse 16 that we read there, notice first of all that it says, unto the woman, he said, 
You see, it went from the man to the woman to Satan and the serpent. He dealt with Satan and the serpent. Now he's going back to the woman. And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. You see, we looked at this passage before, and we recognized that there is a specific role that the woman has that is there because of the sin that took place in the garden, not because that she is inferior or that she's less intelligent or that she's less capable, but simply because that she was involved in the sin and the curse that came as a result of that. We're reminded of that in a number of places, but in 1 Timothy chapter 2, He's speaking specifically of the woman there. And he says in verse 9, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Speaking specifically, the world will, first of all and foremost, want the woman to draw attention to herself physically, anything that she can do to increase that lust factor. The world's idea of beauty is far different from God's idea of beauty. And he's simply saying to you here, dress modestly. Allow yourself to be in appearance, not with things that draw attention to you and you physically and who you are. Oh, yes, there's that inner voice that will be saying, but that's what they want. That's what makes me attractive. No, it's not what makes you attractive. It's not what makes you beautiful, not in God's eyes, nor not in the eyes of any man that's worth your having in the first place. Dress modestly. Don't draw attention to yourself. He says, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. That sounds pretty strong. He got something against the women? No, verse 13 says, for, because, if you would, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Was what we see happening here in chapter 3, verse 16, has far-reaching consequences. But what we need to recognize is that the acuteness of the fall, first of all, that the curse from that sin encompassed the woman. It encompassed the woman. It included the woman. It took in the woman. So she's got certain things in her life that are specifically as a result of her part in that sin in the Garden of Eden. He goes on in the next verses of verse 17. He says, and to Adam, he said, that's where he started. He's come full circle, and now he is back to Adam. Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. What's the next word? Cursed. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return into the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Toil and labor because of the curse that's being put upon creation because of the sin in the Garden of Eden. Matter of fact, this sin 
the curse that comes from it. It's so closely bound between man and creation that the two are completely inseparable. Notice, notice what the prophet Isaiah says. In Isaiah chapter 24, Isaiah chapter 24, verses 1 through 6, Word of God says, Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty and maketh it waste, and turneth it upside down and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. And it shall be, as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with the master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the taker of usury, so with the giver of usury to him. The land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled, for the Lord hath spoken this word. The earth mourneth and fadeth away. The world languisheth and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. The earth also is defiled under the inhabitants thereof because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they shall dwell therein, and they that dwell therein are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. These verses are specifically speaking, of course, of times during what we call the Great Tribulation. Times that if you begin reading in Revelation chapter 6, the Word of God describes very vividly that curse that is upon the earth and where it is going to culminate at its worst time during those times. We find that in Romans chapter 8, speaking in our present time, we see what God said in the garden. We see where that it's going to cultivate, culminate because of that curse during the great tribulation. But in Romans chapter 8, he gives us a beautiful picture of, first of all, the believer being freed from condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Because of our place in the Lord Jesus Christ after the Spirit comes in. But of course, as we look there in that passage, we find that the Bible also tells us something else. Notice what he says picking up in verse 5. He says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for to be Carnally or fleshly minded is what? Death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is not, oh, the carnal mind is, there's that word we talked about before, enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God because of the curse that encompasses man and all of creation. We're in a situation now that in the flesh that we live in, the Bible says it is impossible to please God because to be fleshly minded, to be carnally minded is enmity against God, which we've talked about as well. Notice down in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, creation and mankind, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, well, the first fruit has come in to live within us, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to writ the redemption of our body. The fall in the Garden of Eden 
It encompasses, yes, first of all, the woman, and from that curse there are consequences to that. Also, man and all of God's creation, that because of that, because of that sin and this flesh, we can never please God in our flesh. We can never please God in our fleshly minds. But the Holy Spirit, once he moves in, those that have the Holy Spirit within them, he says we're groaning for that day when this body will be redeemed, when this sin-cursed body with the curse of death upon it will be no more. But he literally talks about man and all of creation itself groaning together for this. Now, I can't fully explain that to you. But I can understand this much, that that means that mankind and all of God's creation is suffering, is in agony. As a human being, we don't recognize that this is only for those that the Holy Spirit has moved in because in the flesh, there is no struggle. But once we are a child of God, this sin-cursed body troubles us. It's a bother to us. And we want to do something about it, and we're just groaning for that day when it'll be gone, and we'll have no more struggles with it. You see, the curse it encompassed the woman, it encompassed the man, it encompassed the earth and all of God's creation. We find that in Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, guess what? Now, we may suffer some agonies and some pains because of the curse of this flesh that is a result of that sin, but one day, one day, it will be as it was in the garden before that sin curse came. And he says in verse 3 of Revelation chapter 20, let me begin first of all in verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding where? Out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life. <laughs> the one that man was forbidden to get to in the garden when he was put out, which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And notice verse 3. And there shall be no more, what's the next word in your Bible? No more curse. <laughs> there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. From the very first of mankind in the Garden of Eden, the curse has been there. It's been part of his life. It's been part of all of creation around him. But there's coming a day when there will be no more curse. It'll be like it was when God created it before that sin entered in and brought that curse the curse, the curse of sin encompassed woman. It encompassed man. It encompassed all of the earth. And notice what he says in verse 21. Verse 20, just the calling of his wife. Verse 21 says, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skin and clothed them. <laughs> the curse encompassed Animal life as well. What do we just see there in verse 21? Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins. Why did they need coats of, coats, coats of skins? Because we've already seen. After they sinned, they saw themselves naked. Their innocence was gone. But if God made them coats of skins to close them, where did those coats of skins come from? Men and animal had to die. You see, this is the first death of an animal because prior to that, there was no death. It was death that brought about this first death here in the garden. It was death that man brought 
But it's here God that kills the first animal as a substitute for man to cover that new state of nakedness. Of course, that death would pass to all animals, but here, again, is a shadow of God supplying a substitute for man to cover man's nakedness that came about because of man's sin. This animal had to die in order to cover man. And of course, we know as we begin to study, and we'll look a bit closer at that later, the atonement of sin and all of that. This is where it begins, though. This is where that first life was taken. This is where we see that the curse that came as a result of sin, it encompassed the woman, the man, creation. It encompassed all of animal life that God had created. We find that if you read on in verses 22 to 24, and the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. We hear a lot of talk today about the environment and what's wrong with the environment and how to fix the environment. May I say, the greatest problem with the environment is the curse of sin. The curse of sin encompassed all of the environment. Here man is literally being driven out of the perfect environment that God had made for him. Paradise. It had been created with everything that man needed. But man is now removed from that perfect environment, and he's never going to be able to enter it again except through Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. He's put out. He's put out of the only perfect environment that ever existed, and there's only one way to return to that perfect environment, and that is through Jesus Christ. You know that by many, this is seen as one of God's first great acts of grace that we see in Scripture. Preacher, how is it grace by God taking man and moving him out of that perfect environment and sticking him out there where he's going to have to deal with all the bad things of it? Because... If he'd left him there in the Garden of Eden, what did God say there? Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil now. And notice the next words. Lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Well, guess what would have happened if God had left us there in the Garden of Eden where the tree of life was there? after falling into his sinful state and then had taken of that tree of life, he would have lived forever in his sinful state. God said, we've got to take him out of the garden so that in this state, his sin-cursed state, he doesn't take of the tree of life and then live forever. How? in that estranged relationship with God, in that relationship that is separated from God, get him out of there because some things need to happen before he has everlasting life, before he's given life eternal. God forbid that he eat of the tree of life while he's in this condition. You see, God already knew and we know today when we then follow Scripture and look back and compare to this basis this here, Jesus Christ, he would be our way back. First of all, to that fellowship, to get rid of that estrangement, that separation, to take us back to true communion with God as it was known in the garden before sin and to have an eternity free from sin. 
How awful would it have been if God had left us in a situation to actually live for all of eternity in a sinful state, degrading and worse and worse, forever separated from him. I don't fully understand all of that myself. I'm just knowing this. I'm knowing that because of the curse of sin that took place there, I know that God said we're going to get man out of the garden lest he eat of that tree of life. We're going to get him out of the garden, out of this environment before he does it. I know that we see that this curse of sin that has encompassed the woman, it's encompassed the man, it's encompassed all of the earth and God's creation, it's encompassed the animal life, it's encompassed all of the environment in which man lives. But it doesn't even stop there. Notice what he says in chapter 4, and Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She thought chapter 3, verse 15 was being fulfilled, but not yet. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. The Lord God said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? Thou doest well. Shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Notice what verse 8 says. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field, the Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and did what? And slew him. The first child was born to Adam and Eve. They were driven from the garden where God had, had, had placed them. And that first child, as a result of that curse of sin, the first child ever born on planet earth was a murderer that murdered his own brother. The seed of sin, the curse that goes with it, was passed from Adam and Eve to their children that followed. Notice it goes on to say, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Again, remember the questions God has asked Adam and Eve in the garden. God's not asking because he doesn't know. He's asking because we need to know. He's asking because Cain needs to know. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand, when thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. The Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Cain, the son of Adam and Eve. You see, for Adam, the curse took him out of the garden where everything had been supplied for him. And he was going to have to work and toil and work hard through the thorns and the thistles and the sweat. But 
in the end. It would return the crop that would sustain him, though he had to work hard for it. But for Cain, the curse goes even further. <laughs> He's cursed even from the earth that his father's been turned to for all of his hard work and toil, he tells us here. It wasn't going to yield him that crop that it was going to yield for his father. He was going to work and labor and work and labor and work and labor, but he wasn't going to know the strength of that, the Bible says. In fact, he was going to spend his days as a fugitive and a vagabond, one running and hiding and begging. <laughs> you see, the curse. Oh, it encompassed the woman, the man, creation. It encompassed all of animal life and the environment in which that we were in. We find that it also encompassed the children. It encompassed the children that was born to that man and to that woman. We can read down, and we won't for the sake of time, if you were to read verses 16 to 24, it gives you the genealogy of Cain's descendants that came from him. But then if you look down into verse 25, the Bible says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God said, She hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. We find that if we continue to read then down through chapter 5, then you find the genealogy of Adam through Seth and all those that came after him. Then notice as you come down to the end of that chapter, verse 32 says, And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be in 120 years and there were giants in the earth in those days, and also that when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, that they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. You see, that curse not only encompassed Adam and Eve and the environment, the earth, and creation, and all that was there, not only encompassed their children that were born to them, but it's the generations that followed. And they're all listed for us right there, right down to this man called Noah. <laughs> the Bible says they just became more and more and more evil increasingly evil until it actually grieved God to see the state of mankind. I remember reading a story. It was about a cattle rancher. And they were talking about the fact that how sometimes, you know, that cows would just get lost. They were talking about how, how does a cow get lost? And he said, well, it really happens like this. You know, cows see something that they want to nibble on. So that cow goes over there and he begins to nibble at that nice, luscious green grass that looks so good. And he finishes that up and he sees another patch over there. And he goes over to that next patch and he nibbles a bit more. It looks so good and it's so tasty. 
He finishes that one off and he sees another one and finally he sees one and maybe it's right there at the opening in the fence and he nibbles away at that one. Then he sees one on the other side of the fence. And so he goes through the fence and he goes out and he's nibbling at that beautiful, luscious, nice patch of grass. And another and another until suddenly he figures out he's lost. He doesn't even know where he's at. And it was just one nibble at a time, one nibble at a time that took him further and further and further from home. You see, so many times, how did man, after all that God had done, after the beauty of creation that we see, how does he end up in a state that God regrets that he ever created him in the first place, that it breaks his heart? How did man just become more and more evil all the time. The same way it happens today, one nibble at a time. Sin so many times can look so attractive. It might even be that for the moment, it tastes good and it, and it brings something that you like. And just one step further, one step further, Farther and farther from home. This is where the world had come to. The curse had encompassed all of God's creation to such a point that now, here, man is out there and he's gotten so bad that God's heart is grieving. In our account, this curse of sin is about to bring the greatest judgment yet. What was it that God said there? I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. God's going to take this a different direction. We find that if we continue to read, we find that the Word of God gives us the account of the worldwide flood. But I need to show you something here before that, before that judgment comes. You see, here we are, and we've come to a point that... God is having to regret, and he's going to have to bring about the destruction of mankind. Well, look into the book of Romans chapter 5. And this is very, very important. And again, this passage in Romans 5 would make very little sense if we took away the foundation that is laid in the book of Genesis but because of what we see in Genesis and the foundation that's laid there, it makes perfect sense. You see, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. Who was that one man? Adam that we've just been reading about. As by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, and who is the figure of him that was to come. You see, by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. That's what we just read about. That's what we've been looking at in Genesis. Until that point, death did not exist. It had no part in God's creation. But he tells us when sin entered in, death came with it. The ultimate curse of sin is death. Death. He says here, passed upon all men because all have sinned. Yes, spiritual death, 
We've already seen the consequences of that through the whole estrangement with God that was brought about as a result of that sin. You see, a holy God, he cannot entertain the presence of sin. We do. We have it all around us, and too often we entertain it. A holy God can't do that. It must be judged and if we're going to have life, it must be eradicated. It must be done away with. So death came upon all men. We see, we have seen already the basis, that spiritual death, but also physical death. Because as we read the genealogy, guess what? Adam died a physical death as well. That wasn't part of God's plan in creating Adam, though he knew that Adam would sin and he knew that Adam would die and he already had a plan in place in Jesus Christ. Adam faced physical death. As you read through those genealogies, there, there's only one that, that didn't die physically and his name was Enoch. <laughs> you know what happened to Enoch? He was taken away. He was just taken out of here and taken to heaven. He is symbolic of the rapture that's coming one day. One day, folks, the same thing's going to happen. Jesus is going to return, and those that belong to him, he's just going to take out of here. They're going to be caught up, the Bible says, to meet him in the air. Enoch symbolized that. There's only one other person that we read about in the Bible and that we find anywhere in history that ever left this earth without dying first, and that was Elijah. You see, the Bible tells us, though, that it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment, there's only a small group of people that will bypass that physical death. That's those that just like with Enoch and Elijah that the Lord takes out of here at his second coming. But you know, there's something that's happening there. <laughs> there's something very, very much that's happening. He's not taking these sin-cursed bodies to heaven <laughs> because the Bible is very clear that when he takes us out of here, he says we'll be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. This corruptible must put on incorruption. So that day is coming. But for the time being, there's spiritual death, there's physical death. That death that came as that curse in the Garden of Eden because of that sin, it not only has encompassed, as we see in these passages, all that have lived, it continues to encompass today everyone, all, everywhere, we find that it's one thing that I've said it many times and I'm, others have said it, and we don't become sinners because we sin. And that's, look, what he's talking about there, what does he say to us in Romans? That sometimes we get the idea that we become sinners because we do something wrong. He's, he's reminding us to look from Adam to Moses. God's law didn't exist as we know it. It hadn't been written yet in those tablets of stone. But he said, look at it. Even though that law wasn't there to break, death reigned. Men died. Why? The curse of sin. Sin was there and it brought that death with it. It's not an oversimplification. It's an absolute fact that we need to get in our heads we don't become sinners because we sin. We can all look back and we can find sin, and sometimes that's one of the things that people first have to do. Yes, I sinned. I broke God's law there. I broke God's law there. He says that that law is given to be a school teacher, that we might know that we're a sinner because this is God's expectations and this is what we are. It's so that we can know that we're sinners. Yes, that's not what makes us sinners. We sin because we're sinners. God's law is there to help us to see that we are those sinners. Sin came and death came with it. And even before God's law was written, everybody was dying just like they are now because of sin. 
You see, every one of us were there in the loins of Adam. By that one man, sin became a part of all of our lives. We can all, sometimes people like to do this tracing their ancestry back to see where they come from. Well, I can tell you, it'll all, all, all lead right back to Adam. Man's sin, man's depravity, it knows no end. It's so engraved in his being that as we see here, it can only take him farther and farther and farther away from God, and the only conclusion it can bring is death. It was Satan in the garden that wanted to destroy them. It was Satan that came along and tempted. It was Satan that wanted to give them that death. It was God that wanted to give them life. The same is true today. I give you this illustration in closing, and I want to read a couple of verses, and I want to leave you with this glorious, glorious thought. You see, what I want you to grasp is we understand from the Genesis account there is nothing that we know, nothing that we see, nothing that we touch, nothing that exists that wasn't affected by the curse of sin. Everything we know has been tarnished by that. Any of you ever owned a snake? I haven't, don't want to, <laughs> but I've known people that have. They like them for pets. Well, I can think of a whole lot better pets than a snake. But one of the things, if you own a snake, do you know what they feed a lot of those snakes? Live mice. You know, they drop those mice in there. Man, that snake just, I mean, he's gone. The whole thing. I read the story. It's kind of neat. About the owner of this snake. And he dropped this live little mouse in there for his big snake to eat. Well, the snake just happened to be sleeping at the time. And now this little mouse is in a pretty tough predicament. He knows it. <laughs> so what does he do? I mean, he doesn't have a whole lot of time. This snake could wake up at any time. So begins to cover him with the sawdust. I mean, there's all this sawdust. In the snake. He begins to cover this snake over with all this sawdust until finally he's got the snake completely covered. You can't see him anymore. It's like he doesn't exist, right? Wrong. Guess what happens when that snake wakes up? He's going to shake all that sawdust off and he's going to be very visible, right? But the owner, seeing this little mouse, seeing him working so hard in there, he took pity on him, and he reached in, and he took him out. You see, the mouse may have been silly enough to think that he had taken care of his own future, and he had done it by covering that snake over with that sawdust, but it just visually looked that way. It wasn't real at all. The danger was just as real. It was just hiding underneath the surface, but it took that outside. That was, that was really the only way he was going to survive was for somebody from the outside to reach in and to take him out. I want to give you the greatest closing because, you see, it's a pretty bleak picture when we see just how much, how much sin affected, the encompassing of that curse upon it. But there in Genesis chapter 6, very next verse after God regretted ever creating man. He's just got through saying he's going to destroy him. Notice the words of verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> it was bad. And what sin had resulted in was bad. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And if you look back there in that passage in Romans chapter 5, we read through verse 14, and it talked about this death that had reigned. But I want you to notice the next verse that follows that. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. 
For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more. They which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. We saw that. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The law came that it might be bigger, that we might see it, that you might see that sin. But when sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Then as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. We sang that great song earlier, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We sing that song sometimes, Grace that is greater than all our sin. God's grace. God's wonderful, glorious grace. You see, today, folks, sin does paint a very dark, a very black picture, and there's no point in trying to hide it over. There's no point in pretending it doesn't there. There's no point in trying to escape it. The only escape is going to be from the outside. By God's grace, he'll rescue you. Today, God's grace is what makes the difference. God's grace is what will make the difference in your life today. Christian, stand in that grace. Praise God for that grace. Recognize that, oh yeah, there's still, because of the curse of sin, there's still that battle, there's that struggle, and you're groaning for that day when you don't have to deal with this old sinful flesh anymore. But praise God, you know that day is coming. You know the end of the story. Oh, and if you're here, and if you haven't accepted that grace, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like that mouse when he's trying to be rescued. You're just running away, running away. You're going to do it yourself. Well, the snake's liable to wake up any moment. And there is no other hope. By God's grace, he wants to rescue you. Just like Noah found grace, God saved him. That ark Another type of Jesus Christ. <laughs> God wants to save you today. He's offering to save you. But will you accept that today? Father, we thank you today. Lord, these foundations are laid so clearly. Help us to understand. First of all, Lord, for anyone that's lost, that's never been saved, help them to understand, Lord. The curse of sin is death. There is no way of avoiding it. That judgment is there. But, Lord, in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. In Jesus Christ, by your grace, we can know life. Just as by one man, sin came into this world and death by sin. By one man, Jesus Christ, you've given us life. Oh, help us to thank you and praise you for that today. And, Father, I pray that in the hearts of each one here today, we can leave here rejoicing in knowing that that amazing grace has touched our lives.
For every Christian, so much to rejoice in. And for any that are lost, help them, Lord. They don't have to leave here lost today. They can accept that free gift. We know that same old Satan that was there in the serpent in the garden, same one that deceived Eve will try to deceive everyone here today. He wants them to leave here in that lost condition. But, Father, I pray. I pray by the power of your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that whatever it is, give them the strength they need, the faith they need, the courage they need to admit their own sinfulness, recognize that Jesus Christ is their only hope. We give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.